Greetings and welcome to the pod. My name is Mark West. Michelle O'Shea is a senior lecturer at Western Sydney Uni, whose research interests dive into the areas of sport, culture and society particularly with regard to swimming. She has looked into issues such as why swimming lessons for kids are important, as well as the role of the swimming pool in society. Her research particularly examines issues relevant to gender and diversity, and how the pool and the beach, despite the great Australian egalitarian myth, can be quite exclusionary places. I didn't start this conversation with my usual question because we just started talking. This was fabulous. Yeah, it's um it's kind of interesting because yeah, my whole youth was spent um swimming. So yeah. I started um yeah, competitive swimming when I was about 9 and it was really something my dad pushed. It was, you know, fabulous. He was actually a velodrome and a road cyclist and he just sort of felt that that was just too dangerous because of cars and and so um, you know, wanting to get us involved in something and yeah it's really formed such a a substantive part of my life I put myself through university teaching and coaching swimming and my first job out of um of university was working out at Sydney Olympic Park oh wow and um yeah and now I guess now I've got my own children and kind of you know that's such a significant part of our life and part of it why it's significant is um my husband's Irish so can't swim and um Yeah, my late mother-in-law actually said to me, you've got to promise me that those kids can swim and enjoy the ocean and 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 look, they're both little um, yeah, water babies. They love it. I mean, Michael's seven now and he trains twice a week and and Grace, um, she's five and you know, both of them have been in in the pool since, you know, they were tiny, just sort of water familiarization. So yeah, and then it kind of, you know, I was never gonna be an Olympian or, you know, sort of um, make a mark in respect. Um so I sort of thought, well, what's the next best thing? Well, I can I can work in sport. So yeah. that's sort of where the sort of academia and and um and that's gone. Yeah. So and now I'm a volunteer surf lifesaver and yeah, it's just um and I live near the ocean. I can look at it right now. So it's almost oh. like it's a, an affinity, yeah, <laughs> which was pure luck. Might I tell you absolute luck. We moved up to um to Nelson Bay, um, followed my parents up here, they retired, and um, yeah, just very lucky to to oh, be here magic. we say that to the kids all the time you don't realize how lucky you are <laughs> yeah yeah nelson is beautiful yeah oh it's magic it really really is so my um my club is fingal bay yep and um yeah it's and it look it's only something i've come to the last few years because we we sort of enrolled michael in nippers um and they didn't have enough parents to um to do sort of what they call water safety so you could do kind of like a water safety certificate or you could do your bronze medallion. I thought, oh, you know what, I'll just do the do the bronze medallion. So, yeah. um, yeah, and it's a really fabulous bunch of of people, really eclectic, different ages, different life stages. Um, yeah, and so in summertime, that's kind of our, our go-to kind of, oh, kind of place. Yeah. Still, interestingly, there's far fewer women still involved in it. So I'm yeah. always trying to co-opt other mums to to come along and you know and put their hand up. I mean, look, there are the pragmatics of time and and um and the like, but um yeah, we've got a really nice patrol of, of people. So oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I guess the other thing is um, you know, I did my first rescue this season. So oh, that wow. was yep. yeah, that was um that was pretty, pretty full on a a board rescue because a um a gentleman had got um sort of stuck in a in a rip. But um, a local, very familiar with um, with the ocean, but um, you know yourself, it just changes so so quickly, and um, yeah. So and then again on that same day, um, yeah, we had another board rescue again. Um, yeah, just people just swimming outside of the flags. My yeah. my um, rescue was inside the flags, but unfortunately the other guys were outside, so sort of anyway got him to shore and he was he was okay and sent him to hospital just um for secondary drowning reasons because he he didn't look well but um yeah I guess it's the the beauty and the 
yeah, the perilous kind of bits of it as well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. that's, I mean, that's lucky you were there. Yeah. I mean, oh my gosh, you know, when you train for it and, and I mean, even as a competent swimmer, as you know, you, you know, your limitations and you want to know sort of the, um, the, the location where you're swimming, but my heart was just pumping a mile because I actually thought he wasn't going to drown, but he thought he might've been having some kind of sort of other issue, like a heart attack and, um, yeah, got him on the board and got him back to, um, to the sand and, you know, he, he was able to stand up and he was, he was fine, but, um, yeah, he just said, oh, I could feel it pulling me out. Yeah. Um, so he was very pleased to see me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, that's good. That's really good. Yeah. 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 Well, I reckon you've, you've probably kind of answered that first question that I would, would always, oh. would always ask, but you know, <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. what, what your relationship with the ocean is. So you've always been a, you've always been a swimmer. Yeah, pretty much. And it's really interesting because my little boy, God love him, he's so funny. He's been watching Bondi Rescue, like old, <laughs> yep, yep. old, old ones. And um, he actually said to me not just two days ago, he said, oh, you know, when does nippers start back, mummy? I said, oh, look, not for a couple of months yet. And he said, oh, I reckon we could go to the beach this weekend. And I said, yeah, sure. I said, it's going to be pretty bloody cold, oh, yeah. but we'll, you know, we could, we could get a steamer and because he's, he's got a, um, yeah, just a short, a short one. But, um, yeah, it was just interesting that, you know, he said, oh, let's go. So I thought, oh, well, we'll see how it pans out. I said, I might not be in. Yeah. <laughs> you and your sister can can um, can can get in it. But, um, yeah, so it's, uh, no, it's, it's funny. When I saw your note, it kind of got me reflecting. Yeah. And, and what a significant, yeah, kind of um, part of my life it, it, it is, yeah. And I've not been without it. So I can't imagine what. It would be like, you know, not to. Yeah. Are there patrols in, in winter? No. So we actually, I was on, I did the last patrol of the season. That was the Anzac Day um, long weekend. So I think we start back, could be September. Yeah. So the beach is, um, is unpatrolled. We're also in a situation where there's, paid and or well, some of the other beaches up here Barubi for example where there's paid lifeguards and then there's the volunteers, the, the volunteers yep. as um as well but I think we start back back September yeah yeah okay. so yeah during the the winter no and it was very interesting because come that last patrol the the water was still magic it was really still warm mm. um and being obviously the Anzac sort of that last weekend we, we the beach was busy actually yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, not like one day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did press record. Okay, can, can ah, I? Ah, that's cool. No worries at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. No problems whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. No, no, all good. Yeah, we were down the coast, the south coast last weekend. And yeah, it's cold. Like it's a different body of water or something. Like it's really freezing down there. Yeah. So I had a wetsuit on. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, how far did you swim? Oh, uh, I, I did about a K. But, you know, oh, well done. Okay, yeah. But, yeah, God. it was probably a really quick K, actually, because it was, yeah. <laughs> to get out it was of bloody it. freezing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it always is during winter. I mean, up here in well, in Sydney, it's not so bad. You can kind of, I mean, yeah. I don't love it. It's a bit cold. Yes. But, um, yeah, it's, yeah, down there it was freezing. Yeah, it's like you get in and then it's like, oh, okay, I've acclimatised and, you know, off I go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then it's a wind chill when you get out as well. <laughs> yeah, and that was, that's the problem, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. Oh, yeah. fair play. I'll let you know if we end up going this weekend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and luck. if I get more than my toes in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, I should ask you about just the swimming lessons article that, that you wrote to sort of to, to start with. You've obviously taken that on board for yourself and taken your kids to, to have swimming lessons. That's a, yeah. an important thing, I guess, if you're living by the coast. Look, you know, it's it's so interesting because, it, you know, to me, it's it's one of those literacies, you know, I sort of say to the kids, you know, you English maths, and you've got to learn how to how to swim and, you know, notwithstanding it kind of being a um, an, an enjoyment thing, it's it's living where we live, I think that appreciation. And I think the other thing that we've really sought to, um, to teach both Michael and Grace, and I think this is too because my husband, you know, is not a competent swimmer, is to be respectful of it. Um, and so, you know, all the time, wherever we go or, um, 
you know, be it a lake, be it a, um, you know, a river, the ocean, be it a, a pool, always, you know, I'm talking about the the safety aspects of it. And it's quite funny because Michael sort of says to me, I know, mummy, I know. And I said, but it's really easy, I think, for them to become overconfident. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm saying to Michael, you know, you are a really good swimmer and you can very easily swim 50 metres and more, but, you know, things change because of the conditions um, yeah, but look, you know, for us swimming lessons, the kids started with those kind of water familiarization classes. And um, a lot of people sort of, I think, assume that um, it doesn't have a value. But, you know, I all, you know, young um, parents of, of young children, I really encourage them, if you're not going to formal lessons, you know, particularly in that first year or, or two, just, you know, that familiarisation, be it at the, in the bath, um, be it in the, you know, the backyard pool, just really getting them accustomed to moving their body in the water. And, and it, you know, it's so joyful. The kids, the kids love it. Um, yeah, and, I mean, as I said, a lot of what I did um, putting myself through university was facilitating those kind of classes. But, yeah, I, I think one of the really big issues uh, for families, obviously, at the moment is is the cost. And, um, you know, that's where I think certainly in New South Wales, they've got um, what they call the first lapse um, sort of rebate. And at the very least, you know, that that's a, a great way to, I guess, incentivize or to, you know, reduce the, uh, the cost. But, yeah, I just think that it's an, an absolute, necessity and as I said it's almost like a you know a, a, a part of the it should all be I think a significantly greater part of the curricula um, and although we have things like intensive swimming lessons in um, in schools I also question okay two weeks and then you know we we don't swim again and I think that's another challenge we're very lucky where we are where the kids swim year round and so it's heated and and it's indoor, but um, yeah, that consistency, you know, and and I think the other thing that's um, really interesting, and I was only talking to one of the um, the swimming instructors at um, at the centre where we we take Michael and uh, and Grace, and he's lap swimming. He's in what we would call like a mini or a pre squad. And at the beginning and end of each lesson, she still does survival. Mm-hmm. Uh, techniques and um, we're only talking about the fact that it's all very well and good that Michael can swim butterfly backstroke breaststroke freestyle but um, yeah just those constant reminders and that you know reaffirming okay what do we do if we get in trouble so you know floating on our back treading water and so I thought that was just so clever even you know by virtue of safe entry um, into into a pool into a body of water that you're not familiar with so, yeah, I think that's so important. And, and as, as I said, even with Michael being as confident as he is, that that still is the beginning and the end of, of every lesson. Yeah, and I, I think too, I mean, this is somewhat of a outside of the, the, um, the, the first question, but I think the other thing is as parents, that kind of vigilance around water, mm-hmm. uh, I just never leave the pool. If they're near a body of water, I'm there and I'm, you know, yep. I'm not on my phone. I'm watching. Yeah. So, um, yeah, interesting. Yeah. And that, uh, it's also fun too, isn't it? Like, I think I, I, I look at my kids and, and they yeah. had some lessons when they were little, but they didn't love it. So they didn't sort of take it through, but they can swim and it, it opens up the yep. fact that now can now go to the pool and stuff around mm-hmm. and it's fun. Oh, it's just, it's a, it's pleasure. It's pleasure, isn't it? It's yeah. pure joy, you know, to be weightless you know, and um, you would have probably, have you read the book, um, uh, The Pool? So it's People's Reflections. Oh, maybe, yeah. Oh, it's, I'll send it to you. There was also an ABC television series and um, it was essentially asking, you know, relatively famous Australians to reflect yes. on yep. the significance, yeah, of the um, the local swimming pool. And, um, you know, even just as you say, you know, it conjures ideas about, you know, really hot, because I grew up in in Western Sydney, really hot afternoons and, um, you know, ice cream and, and, and hot chips, you know, and then there was Friday night swimming. Um, and I did Royal Life Saving as well. 
but you're right. It's it's just there's so much pleasure and and fun to be had, and you know, bombing, um, you know, into the deep end of the the pool. And I think you're right. They don't have to be champion swimmers, and they don't have to be you know swimming kilometers. But yeah, it is joyful just to be able to jump in a pool and you know splash around. And yeah, it's um yeah, it's so quintessential kind of um Australian. But you know, on that idea of the public swimming pool, you know, it's interesting because. So many Australians too have their own backyard pools, um, but I still think it still has that significant kind of you know and and like being that we live close to, so close to the ocean, we we don't have a swimming pool, notwithstanding the substantive cost. I don't know about you, but have you got a pool yourself? No, we don't have a pool. No, but... gosh, we just had friends put one in. I think it was like one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah, just uh, just crazy. And I thought particularly when, you know, and, and I think that's the other thing about the local pool. It It is, it makes the joy of swimming accessible mm. to anyone, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I just think that they have, they have, and notwithstanding the fact that there's such a substantive um, cost to maintain them. But I think, you know, the cost benefit on that is, is unparalleled. I mean, just in our local area, in spite of the ocean being so close in the middle of summer, it's, it's vibrant. Yeah. Um, and it's a real sort of community space where, where people go. Yeah. That, yeah. That's what we've got. So we're in Canterbury, so we've got Canterbury oh, pools yes. down the road and yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of old fashioned, it's outdoors and I think yep. they're redoing it to make it all swish and indoors and whatnot, but it has a certain charm at the moment, hot chips, ice cream, outdoors, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. Oh, look, they're exactly the same as where we are. As you said, there's definitely nothing um, fancy uh, about it. And um, yeah, hot chips and oh, slushies. They've got slushies now, Lord, <laughs> of yeah, all different varieties. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you wrote something really interesting about access to pools and 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 for mothers and and that and that type of thing because you know it's it's it is expensive, but it's also kind of hard if you've got a couple of kids and you're one adult. It's it's a kind of, it can be a hard thing to do. Yeah, and so you know, as I said, that I wrote that piece because essentially uh, a woman had. Um, yeah, I guess being excluded uh, from a from a pool by virtue of the fact that there needed to be one adult uh, for every child under under six. And you know, as I said in that um, in that piece, you know, I obviously understand the intimately understand why that rule exists. But as you said, by virtue of um, yeah, her being a single parent and not having another adult to help supervise, she turned around and and went back back home so yeah I sort of then proposed because one of the things that I have I was involved with when I um when I was sort of coming back from having my second baby was a um a group called Surfing Mums and it's a yeah just a a group of women very much grassroots and you go down to the beach and you take turns so you know I would sit uh for 45 minutes with the kids and play while one of the other mums was surfing and then we tag. And then, so my suggestion was, wouldn't be marvellous to do something similar um, at our local pools, which would really enable not just women, but but we know increasingly fathers are taking on that primary caregiver role so that they could enjoy um, the pool, be it for their own pleasure or also be it, you know, to to engage, you know, with water play and, and enjoyment with their with their kids. So yeah, it's um really one of those those complexities and you know it is the case that it is often you know you I watch and that albeit that there's lifeguards there parents are very distracted by their iPhone or their book um and so while it is the case that this particular woman was going into the swimming pool with both her children um yeah the impost being that by virtue of their age. Um, but I guess there's always nuance in that because if I look at Grace, uh, my, who's five, she can easily swim 50 metres and um, she's very capable and she gets quite upset actually when we go to the local swimming pool uh, for the littlies, they have to wear a fluorescent band so so that they are highly visible. And that's even interesting. I buy, you know, the fluoro um 
sort of swimmers and the rash vests, et cetera, so that, you know, they're easily, because, you know, when they're all in the pool and they've all got black or navy, you can't sort of see who's who in the zoo. So I know who's who. But um, she gets so upset that she has to wear, I don't need that. And I said, well, Grace, <laughs> it's the rules of the pool, you know. Yeah. And um, so I don't yet think she'll get away with it this summer. She'll still probably be wearing that um, fluorescent armband. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess it's, yeah, it's looking at ways both at the grassroots but also from a facility and a commercial perspective we can kind of enable access uh for all and and that's notwithstanding I guess the intersections with other categories of difference so a lot of my research is around uh, equity and and inclusion so you know there would be cultural and you would know living where you do in Canterbury that there are cultural and religious and other I guess barriers and constraints um to some populations engagement with with the pool and and the ocean yeah, yeah. I've yeah. seen it um uh, similar thing, but the other way around where one of the pools in Enmore has like, they run like child minding. So mum mm. and dad can go and go and have a swim themselves. Yes. But, but the kids stay in the playroom. They don't get to have a swim. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Which I is a bit it, kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, Whereas with this particular system, it's you and I going to the to the pool with our kids and we tag each other. Okay. You're, you take, you know, one in and then, um, and it's, yeah, again, it's, it's that everyone can be in the pool and everyone can be, um, you know, enjoying it as, as well as particularly when kids are that young, getting that familiarization and that confidence and yeah, that sense of space. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I loved your article on the, on the ocean as well about sort of, we, we picture the ocean as like this egalitarian sort of place, but that's not really the history of it in Australia, especially with some of the baths, even in recent times. Oh, look, it's, and again, it's the, um, yeah, it's, I love the nuance and the complexity in, in all of it. And, and as you said, there is this kind of assumption that, you know, I guess the ocean is a public good and it's, um, a space that should be, uh, for, for all, but as we articulate in that, um, in that particular article, it's anything but that. Um, and I think in a way that egalitarian idea, uh, almost conceals the ongoing kind of inequities. And um, a, a colleague of mine, I'm, I'm actually working with her on writing up um, a paper, actually spent um, a lot of time with the bikini burkini babes or the swim sisters. And so one of the, the groups that we reference um, is, is obviously Muslim women and, and the fact that um, by virtue of their religious and, and cultural beliefs, it really can be a very inaccessible, a very foreign, um, even a, a place of, um, yeah, of, of fear. But um, the the Burkini is such a wonderful example of, yeah, that enabling, um, of that enabling force. And um, some of these women are incredible swimmers, which is, which is brilliant. Um and I was actually speaking to um, another colleague and they're actually looking at developing a similar program for cycling. And uh, I think that's probably something my researchers really um, come to articulate is that because a lot of work I also do is with um, is working with Indigenous, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women and that oftentimes there's um, safety in those kind of culture, they're culturally safe spaces. And that is not to suggest that those women don't want to, you know, swim or, or be at leisure or recreation with, with other women, but that, yeah, there is this kind of sense of safety. And, um, yeah, the idea of what's really interesting too about Muslim and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women's um, swimming is the idea of, near mentors so when we kind of think of mentors we think of elite athletes but the research also articulates is that you know and going back to the um swim sisters you know the sisters and the aunties and seeing them Mm -hmm. swim and seeing the normalization of that activity then the six seven eight year old female that's watching that sees that it's possible 
Um, yeah, so really interesting and, and again, issues as they pertain to, to disability and, and, you know, we've seen, as you would know, Mark, so many developments and improvements around infrastructure to really enable access and um, where I where I patrol at, um, at Fingal Bay, we've got those mats um, and yep, yep. again, it, you know, just with creativity, um, and not a great deal of challenge, you know, spaces can just be um, so, yeah, can be made so inclusive. Yeah. Are there yeah. many sort of women only baths around the place? I mean, ocean pools have, have you know, they do exist, I think. Yeah. So there's the one McCliver's baths. Yep. Um, and even that has, you know, been met with, controversy so I, I don't know if you know a great deal of the the history of it but um they actually have an exemption under the um discrimination act um so that will and you know be retained as a women's only um bath but there were some aspersions around trans gender um women's ability to attend the baths uh and and the like which seem to have you know resolved um them themselves but it's really interesting um the gentleman that that brought the legal action or sought to have that bath um you know i guess for, for both men and women you know it makes you it, it really when you read the stories of because there's a, a a book that speaks to to mcliver's um baths and the fact that this is a safe space and um, that women and one particular woman was talking about being very heavily pregnant and just wanting to be in the ocean to alleviate all those aches and, and pains. And she said she just felt at ease to be pregnant, very, very pregnant um, in a space with with other women. And I think that's the other thing, that idea of the, the masculine gaze um, and be it you know, actual or perceived, um, this is a space where women, you know, do feel that um, they belong. And I think that's also something really interesting because the literature, we've often talked about kind of disability and inclusion, but just being invited isn't the same as this idea of belonging. So it was very interesting to read those women's stories about that sense of belonging and that there was this space where, yeah, they were outside of the gaze um, and that they could just kind of be in the ocean, doesn't matter what their body was, doesn't matter what their cultural or religious beliefs were, that they were just able to to be, yeah, yeah. which I thought was was so interesting. That's really yeah. interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And I guess, yeah. I guess sort of slightly different theme, but you get that sense of belonging, but then um, on some of the beaches there can sometimes be a sense of ownership you know, I guess we saw in the Cronulla riots and that sort of thing, this is our, this is, you know, no one else is allowed here. Yeah. And again, it's those kind of exclusionary practices and, and yeah, I mean, what a blight Cronulla um, was, but, you know, I, as you say, it really illuminates how spaces are, yeah, constructed Um and it's it's almost the unspoken um, practices. So you know we know that it's not a fence, but yeah, that that sense that it wasn't a welcome space. And then we obviously saw that anger and the aggression um, that that transpired. So yeah, it's it's almost like a subculture. Um, and as you say, I, I think you know Cronulla really bubbling to the surface and and providing a context where we could see the barriers um, because often they're not physical, but it is that the sense that I don't belong. It's the, the stare that you receive um, or it's maybe the snide remark. Um, but that's interesting too because the bikini babes talk about, you know, when they first started to wear the bikini, um, that, you know, they they did feel that they were not othered, but this sense that they kind of stood out. But what they also speak about is it can be a way to engender a conversation. 
a respectful conversation about religiosity or culture. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. But I think the other side to that is that the labour always falls on those others yeah. to educate, you know. Yeah, they'd the, rather not be having that conversation, right? Like, yeah. Just, just want to be. Exactly. And, I mean, you know, look at what's happened in France. I mean, they've essentially banned those women from from wearing the um, the bikini, which is, you know, quite ludicrous to me. Um, you know, certainly as a middle-aged woman having had two kids, you know, I'm not wearing a string bikini. So, you know, I'll very often wear board shorts and and by virtue of living in Australia too and, and the sun, I'll always have a long sleeve rash vest on and a hat. So is it any different? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And and again, it's, it's that idea of what isn't and isn't permissible and who kind of decides. Yep. Um, and as you said, particularly against the backdrop of this egalitarian, it's for, for kind of everyone. Yeah. Do you think yeah. that that's what makes the beach such a lightning rod? Like you're standing there wearing next to nothing. You, you know, mm. you, you can be seen if you're wearing a bikini or a string bikini or... Yeah. You've got darker skin or if you're a guy or a girl or, or whatever. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah. And, it, and it, yeah, it's that idea of being seen. And it is the case, as you said, that there are those that want to be seen. Um, but then there are others that would rather not, you know, be, be, be seen. But I think it's interesting when we talk about, um, you know, brown and white bodies. And, you know, when we think about swimming and when we think about oceans, you know, that space um, has been physically and culturally dominated by by white Anglo, you know, Westerners. Um, and it's really interesting when, just when I'm on patrol, particularly in the region where I live, we get lots and lots and lots of um, of people from Sydney coming up for, for a holiday. And, um, you know, it's wonderful to kind of see them at the beach and they're often the first people that will come across and actually talk to you about what's the ocean like today or you know is what's the water temperature like what what's the tide like it almost seems to be that they're um they're more cautious and I think sometimes that's a good thing as well because they know their kind of limitations um or you know it is the case um that um you know very sadly up in Fingal this this year we had a family that weren't swimming inside the flags and unfortunately one the one of the elder relatives went into assist um a younger child who was struggling and and unfortunately you know he was in a rip and and he did um he did lose his his life so I think that's also really important too is is to make sure that those new Australians, um, yeah, again, have, have got that opportunity to enjoy the beach and that, um, you know, that they have the requisite skills and, and knowledge as well. But, you know, when I certainly think about the, the, the ocean patrols and when you think about surf lifesaving, you know, it is dominated by white Anglo-Western men. Um, you know, even just very recently there was constitutional Change, there was some wording changes in our constitution where it had always talked about chairman. Yeah, right. And okay. it's sort of like, well, hang on a minute. You yep. know, that's definitely legacies of the of the past. And or it talked about men um, as distinct from, you know, men and women. Um, or, you know, why do we need the gender preface anyway? Yep. It's just life savers, surf life yep. um, savers. So, yeah, really interesting. So I think to you know, encouraging and providing space, um, you know, and again, that's if it is something that those communities want to be a part of, you know, really inviting their their contribution. Um, yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Do you see improvements here? Things are, are getting better? Oh, you know, I get asked this question just in respect to my research about women's involvement in sport and you know I've increasingly I'm kind of thinking just change isn't linear and I I see some changes and then you know and this is quite outside of um of you know what we're talking about in terms of swimming but I am involved in lots of other sporting clubs and I'll never forget this day you know I've done an undergraduate degree in sport management. I've got an honours degree in sport management. I've got a PhD in sport management. And, you know, I've been around sport for so long. And one of the fathers said to me, oh, look, 
just leave it to us. You just look after the kids. I just sort of thought, like, oh, God, you know. Um, but, you know, it's interesting, though, because, you know, you kind of internalise some of those gendered discourses and norms because, um, and as I said, I've, I'm on such a great patrol of people and um, the lads are always encouraging, come on, Michelle, you put the equipment in and out and you use the, you know, the trailer and and this, you know, because it's not naturally something I'm I'm around all the time you know, um, and so obviously we've got people with a whole matter of professional skills and expertise. Um, so, yeah, I drove the tractor up and down the beach and I was yeah. kind of quite chuffed at myself, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the um, in the yuppie going up and down the beach and um, and that's because, you know, there is this just have a go. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think there's, it depends, you know, culturally um, where you are and I think, yeah, change isn't linear. I think there you know, it's it's better than what it was, but where we started from is is a bit of a challenge. Um, yeah, yeah. But again, you know, I think it's it's ensuring that the labor of the change isn't always on those others. That you know, it is that you know, it's almost that idea of of allyship in a in a way. Um, yeah, but hopefully it's becoming more egalitarian. But as I said, just, you know, and people might think that language is just a matter of semantics, but it matters, doesn't it? You know, we know language constructs meaning. Um, so those changes, they they really do, they do matter. Yeah. I do yeah. notice it, like sort of just the normal weekend warrior, ocean swims on the weekend, that uh, there'll often be swims where there are more women than men. Yes, so yeah. it's pretty popular at, at that sort of level. It doesn't always, it's not always the case, but... Uh, and I haven't looked at it by age. I'm sure that yeah. varies, but um, yeah, it, it seems pretty egalitarian in that sense. Yeah. And it's so interesting you say that because when I think back to, you know, swimming and squad swimming and it was very gender balanced in terms, and, you know, I just think of a really poignant image um, just before the postponed um, Japanese uh, Olympic Games and there was the Australian swim team and it was pretty much... 50 50 yep. and and we know you know how how successful both our men's and women's teams are um and mo more recently in particular our women have just you know ex excelled um and then you looked at the coaches and the support staff and that was all blokes yeah and yep. i think that's where we're seeing as you said at that participatory level um it really is kind of 50 50 or but but when we then start to look at coaching and when we look at administration and we look at governance that's where it seems like those those changes that that gear shift hasn't changed and you know it's interesting I see a lot a narrative around oh well, we've got one of those so we've got a female coach right, but again yeah. think about the pressure on that you know that that first one. coach um and then I'm, I'm also I think about calculative discourses and I think but numbers can conceal what's going on in the background as, as, as well, in terms of that sense of inclusivity, um, and belonging. But I think, yeah, definitely from a participative perspective, swimming is one of those sports that really has seen a, a significant, you know, it's, it's a significant gear shift. Um, yeah, but it's more at that coaching and governance level. Yeah. Do you think yeah. that's, so do you think there's more, there's still active barriers there for women to get into coaching and, and that sort of thing? And I guess you see that in, in other areas of life as well and in, in senior management yeah. and all the rest of it. Um, or do you think it's more, I guess the men have had more professional experience because those barriers haven't been there for them in the first place? Yeah, look, I, it's that kind of chicken and egg yeah. metaphor all the time, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think there's two things at play. And I don't necessarily, because you use the word active, because I think you're right, I don't think it's always that it's um, it's something that people are inherently aware of um, and it's almost like this, um, this kind of inherent bias, mm -hmm. this kind of subconscious bias, which, which we know has been, been reported about. Um, that being said, however, my doctoral research actually looked at um, women and men's careers in um, Australian sport organisations at the national and the, the state level. And so many of the women um, administrators actually did talk about kind of overt discriminatory kind of practices. But what was more um, 
uh, impactful and, and certainly what came across through the interviews because I spoke to 60 administrators across four organisations and um, it was the case that it was more the informal and it was kind of the subtle um, unspoken practices. So, yeah, I think there's certainly some cultural issues um, but when we look at the success of our female swimmers, it's not like we've got a dearth of of talent that we could be putting through a, a pathway and enabling their kind of whole of um, life involvement in the sport. So, you know, I, I'm not, I, I don't support quotas and affirmative action, but I certainly think that there can be strategic ways to incentivize and encourage and to kind of provide pathways that, you know, bring, um, the, the next generation along. But again, thinking about those intersections of, of difference, you know, intersections of class, of colour, of gender. Yep. Um, and again, that image was very much white Anglo-Western male coaches. Yep. Um, so it's that idea of those others. And again, coming back to the very premise of our, our conversation is that swimming, be it in the ocean, um, be it in a swimming pool, be it at the grassroots or the competitive level is for everyone but when we start to pull it apart yeah there are these kind of barriers and and constraints so yeah looking at how we can structurally make changes and then how we can kind of shift the gear in terms of you know what seemed to be normal um because I know there was um there was one particular respondent that I spoke to and um, they were talking about the Australian swim team and they were going into camp and um, there was indeed a, a, a female coach. And so what they, she had young children. So what they'd essentially organised is was for her to be accompanied by her mother. So her mother could look after the kids while, you know. And, uh, and so this particular um, male respondent was talking about the fact that that was a really easy fix. Um but that it wasn't necessarily seen positively by everyone. Um, yeah. But, I mean, when you think about it, if someone's got skills and expertise, um, and particularly in high-performance environments, we want to look at how we can enable it. We want the best of the, the best. So this particular woman was. So what do we do? Well, we enable her to travel with, and you know, in this case, her mother, and, and so the kids can be doing what they're doing and, and you know, that she can be focused on, on her um on her coaching yeah but it might very well be the reverse as well maybe it's a male coach um that doesn't want to spend months away from his his kids and and why not then enable that travel so yeah it's um you know we think about in workplaces as the unencumbered um masculine norm so yeah i think there's nuances and complexities around that as as well yeah yeah i think that's what's lost sometimes in these debates and you know, online debates are never good. Um, but that a lot of these things like uh, are helpful for men as well. I'd love to, you know, it, it would enable yeah. my life a lot if I could take my kids somewhere, you know. Yeah, to, to the, and to I mean, sorts of things. and that, that's where, you know, I think that's because um, we know we can sell the business case. But as you said, it's it's what are the benefits there for all employees? Um, and we're talking about coaches at the at the moment. Um, but we all benefit from, as you said, that kind of undertaking. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I think COVID has shifted the dial on it, mm. and it and it hasn't. But one thing that I did notice was um, during COVID, and, and obviously you've lived through this in your household, is um, I remember it was just quite stark. Was um, you know, I did have lots of eye rolling when we had the, you know, I'd be on a Zoom call and then Grace would be, you know, doing something or Michael would want, you know, a sandwich. And I was like, come on, guys, I'm on a meeting. It's important. But I just remember sitting there watching and Ollie, my husband, had a had a, um, a Zoom board meeting and he was downstairs. We call it the bunker. And um, the kids and I were upstairs and Grace was really naughty and then ran downstairs and opened the door and, you know. And when she did that and everyone was like, oh, that's so gorgeous. And I thought, <laughs> would everyone have said that was so yeah, gorgeous? Not, not Grace <laughs> jumped on my lap, you know. It was because there was the father. Um, and, look, there, it was great that there was visibility around his parenting role, et cetera. But I thought, I wonder how that would be perceived if it was one of the female board members and their child, you know, yeah. jumped in. And, yeah. But, um, 
Yeah, I mean, look, we we all kind of try to, I mean, I have, um, you know, tried to conceal my mothering and, you know, fearful about what that impost is on my career. But I think now I've just kind of done away with it. And I'm like, hey, I'm not helping anyone if I'm trying to be super yeah. person. Um, yeah, but I think it's it's really interesting. And I think that you're right, Mark, it's bringing the nuance to the fore, problematizing and often just kind of sitting with ideas. People are so quick to, you know, know naysay and, um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Thinking when you were talking about the management in sport, I, I watched the netball final the other night. Netball seemed to have it cracked. Yeah, tell you what, Um such a phenomenal sport and my fear for netball is you know uh is all the talent that we've had in netball going to go to other sports (laughs) you know we're we're starting to to see it um see it kind of happen um yeah it's um it's interesting because uh again um thinking back to some of the research and the interviews i did is that oftentimes it's been the case that male sport administrators see women's sport as um, kind of like a stepping stone mm-hmm. to the, but it's the real deal nowadays. I mean, I don't necessarily think that's as the case as it um, as it once was. It's yeah, we've we've got that professionalism coming along, notwithstanding the the challenges. But um, yeah, I mean, just thinking about the women's World Cup mm-hmm. tonight, it's going to be interesting. My husband's Irish. Um, oh, of course, yes. Yeah, I mean, I think twelve of the thirty-two coaches are, are women. Okay. Um, so you know, it's changing slowly, but but when you look at netball, um, yeah, I think they've really and and you know, then it could be argued that exclusionary in in terms of men as as well. I don't know, but and one of their growth strategies is actually around men's involvement um, yep. in the the sport, and we know some of the fantastic coaches and um, umpires of netball are, are, are men as, um, as well. But, yeah, it's um, going to be really interesting to watch that professional women's sport space, um, particularly by virtue of just the, on, the on-field talent. We've got all these sports that are vying. Um, but, I mean, the pathways for young girls um, and women nowadays, yeah, just incredible. I yeah. think the – is it the, the rugby sevens – men's and women coaches just swapped recently mm. so there's no and yeah. and the women are the i would i would say uh are the shining example of gold medalists so yeah that maybe that's the plumber job i don't know who gets paid more but yeah, uh, yeah. well that's the other issue isn't yeah. it it's like scratch the surface <laughs> just a little bit more but i mean look you know that we saw the matildas coming out and, and talking about pay equity um as well so i guess it's just kind of pushing that um that barrow um, and just chipping, chipping away. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think the swimmers get paid all that well. I imagine there's a gender disparity, but I, I don't know. You know, and the thing about, you know, it's, and the other sport I've been watching is, is obviously the Tour de France. I mean, mm. that is just grueling. And I, I think when I think about swimming and I think about cycling, you know, they're, they're just unbelievable athletes. Their training regimes are, are absolutely um, incredible. And, you know, I think there has been some moves to kind of look to professionalise aspects of swimming. Um, yeah, we obviously had the Americans and the Aussies and the kind of the swim-off. The and in the pool. Or, yeah. yeah. And I think it would be really marvellous to kind of actually see um, more of that. And, uh, yeah, I, I also think about, you know, just the, the contribution of um of, you know, be it male or females to, to swimming. I mean, we kind of hang our hats on the success of the the Australian swim team always. Um, but, yeah, just incredible to to kind of see the depth of, of talent and, and just their sheer um, regimes of, of training, um, unreal. But I guess with all sports, it's, it's also making sure that, um, you know, they're safe contexts and, and we know that, you know, swimming, gymnastics, um, you know, football, soccer itself have, have had issues. Um, so, yeah, again, that goes back to that idea of inclusivity, fun, you know, and creating safe spaces um, for, for everyone. Yeah, yeah.
So what, what do you think's next in your research? What are you working on now? Oh, my goodness. So much going on um, at the moment. One uh, project we're, we're just publishing on a paper on at the moment is actually um, relevant to um, women and girls' participation in um, organised sport, particularly from um, communities of disadvantage. So, um, and as I said, a lot of my research is also interested not just in issues around gender, but intersections with class, culture and um, and religion. So our research has found that um, there was a, a council did what was called a women's sport roadshow and it was really to introduce you know young girls to um to all different sports be it rugby be it netball and um what we found was that it was the first time that they'd actually been involved in any kind of structured um activity of of that kind yeah so circling back um i guess to where we started around the cost of organized sport one of the really big barriers um for for women and girls was that uh, and this particular um, community has a high representation of new Australians. And they said that, um, you know, there was, say, three or four children in the family. The eldest son got to have an activity, then the second son, and then, unfortunately, by the time they got to, you know, the the daughter having an opportunity, they, they just couldn't afford it. Um, so really looking at then, yeah, how can we enable access um and two you know we know that it's contingent on parents being able to drive their kids and you know it's volunteer orientated so yeah really looking at then you know what should be the kind of strategic governmental um kind of response to enabling that um that kind of access but um then on kind of the management and um and the leadership side is looking at issues as it relates um, yeah, to to how we actually engender that greater involvement of those others, and and as I said, you know, my PhD really articulated that, you know, um, while there were challenges for women, it was also the case that if you weren't a white Anglo Western, you know, fifty six year old woman, uh, male fifty six year old male, um, then you know, developing your career was quite problematic, and so lots of male respondents actually talked about you know, if you wanted to be an involved father or if you were taking on a primary caregiver role, that the implications for their career were dire. So really looking at, yeah, how we can create, um, yeah, spaces. And I, I think the important part of all of this is that my research has involved national and state sport organisations and they're funded by the public purse. So, yeah, you know, they 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 should be... Um, equitable and they should be inclusive and and as I said moving toward that idea of um of of belonging but um yeah finally hoping to um speak with the group of women that have manifested out of the the um the swim sisters they're now looking um to develop what's called the cycling sisters so again looking at you know women's um non-traditional involvement from that particular um cold community in sport and physical activity. And what I think is really interesting, what I'm seeing is that while we've got those kind of traditional um, governance structures and we've got grassroots level associations and national and state sport organisations, there's lots happening at the grassroots um, and lots of organic self-organising. So that's why I reference Surfing Mums as an example. So doesn't have an affiliation or an association with Surfing Australia. Um, and so I, you know, we're starting to see more of that. Um, I, I think, yeah, yeah. What about your next swimming career or ocean? Oh career? my what's, goodness! What's next? Oh, I've got to. <laughs> I tell you what, I, we all have to do re-accreditation. Uh, yeah. so better get practicing. Although I must say um, that I, I was um, number one in my cohort for um, uh, for um, recess. So I, I was, I was definitely got that down pat. So yeah, it'll be getting back out um, the, um, the, the board and practicing some 
rescues. But my husband also did buy me some surfing lessons. So I've been trying to stand up on a surfboard. I cannot do it. Um, And so I'm like, I'm going to be able to do that by the end of next summer. So when I check in with you, (laughs) you're going to have to ask me. So that's the next thing for me. And then it might, it sounds like maybe this weekend I may be putting my toes in the ocean here. Yeah, it does sound like it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Are you going to get your husband's Irish uh, blood out in the ocean? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I tell you what, he walks around with um with a t-shirt and shorts. So if anyone can <laughs> bear it, it yeah. it'll just be that he'll be um it'll just be that he'll be wading, I think, as a distinct prince living. Actually, it's quite funny whenever he does a because I've been getting him a kickboard and um flippers to kind yeah. of just get him to and he does like 50 <laughs> meters of kicking on the board with flippers. Um and uh yeah, he said I need a sandwich. He's starving. <laughs> But actually, one funny story I will tell you, when he did um, come out to Australia, we did, because I tried to teach him how to swim, and you know what it's like, um, trying to teach your partner how to do anything, just just forget about it. Yeah. So I said, look, go along to some, to some swimming lessons. And, um, yeah, Ollie's about 5'8", five, 5'9", five, five, so he's not a, not an overly tall tall guy. And a very good friend of ours um yeah, he wasn't a particularly competent swimmer. And he said, oh, well, mate, you know, I wouldn't mind coming along with you either. And so yeah, his mate is um, is six foot seven. <laughs> and there's Ollie, five foot eight. So there's the two of them on the edge of the pool. And no word of a lie, then in the next, there was these three, four and five-year-olds. And it was just the best <laughs> picture. <laughs> and I think that's the thing about swimming. Adults shouldn't be afraid to learn later in life. Um, yeah, but again, for Ollie, it's it's just been yeah. I think getting over the fear of it as yeah. as well. Um, and so yeah, just yeah, and and that's it. Swimming is just it, yeah, it's a it's a skill for life. Um, yeah, wow, that, uh, a friend from work. Hi Tim, if you're listening, he said to yeah. me, yeah, you should talk to someone about adult swimming lessons because he he listens and he really wants to be able to feel the enjoyment that that we feel yeah. in the water and in the ocean, but he doesn't have it. He, he never grew up with it. Yeah. And so, you know, that would be my encouragement to Tim. You must ring up your local swim school because very often they will have, you know, adult only lessons and you can usually do it in a small group. Um, yeah. Because it just unlocks, so, you know, as you know, just the joy of, of, of swimming. So yeah, that's going to, yeah, definitely. That should be something you should be pushing him to do. Come on, adult, yep. adult swim lessons. So, um, look, and, and Ollie's mate, he's a really competent swimmer. He's kind of really kept it up. And, uh, but I just, I love the image of it. Um, yeah. And all the kids were kind of high-fiving Ollie when he was doing his breathe and bubble ride. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the deep end is going to pose any problems to him. No, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's cool. Oh, you've made my day. It was so nice to talk about that because you don't really talk about it very often. I was just going to say the only the other thing I was thinking about when you said about inclusive spaces. I um, when I started my job out at Sydney Olympic Park at the Aquatic Centre. Um, so I was part of the rebranding after the Sydney 2000 Olympics and the tagline was 26 degrees all year round. So yeah. I never used to wear a jacket to, to work. But it was really interesting to me that because I was so accustomed to that environment, I'd swum my whole life, you know. And um, I remember being, um, we were doing a famil for the venue. So it was an organisation wanting to host an event there. And um it made me look at it in a different way. You know, we, we smell the chlorine and all those, mm-hmm. folks, you know, and people would walk in and say, oh, my gosh, it's so hot. Wow, the chlorine. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? You know, yeah, so yeah. it's interesting when you kind of look at it with a with a new set of eyes and you look at, you know, the ocean or you look at a swimming pool as a first-time user. Yeah. Um, because we've got the script down pat, you know, we know how it how it all kind of works. So, um yeah, I don't, that just sort of, you know, came as a, a, a memory that, yeah, thinking about if I was a first-time user, how welcomed would I feel? What might be some of the barriers? Um, yeah. Yeah, those feelings, I mean, they probably brought back lovely memories of your childhood and all the rest of it, but they're quite foreign if you've never been there before. Yeah, and and look, even just um, this conversation, um, 
yeah, my dad, it was, it's really been a way to have forged this lovely relationship because um, every morning when he'd wake me up at kind of five o'clock for swim training, he'd always be this, another famous person on the phone, you know, he'd be like, oh, Shelly, Michael Jackson's on the phone or, you know, it's quite funny. <laughs> Um, and then I'd hear the tinkle of him pouring sugar into his cuppa. And then I was like, okay, I've got to get up because we've got to go soon. But um, yeah, it, great. You know, it, he was a timekeeper and every weekend. And that's the thing I think with swimming, you know, my parents really, and I think dad in particular, he liked it because, you know, we were at swimming at 5.30. We did our, our session. We went to school. Then we were back at the pool at 4.30 on the weekends. We were at swimming carnivals. He knew exactly where we were yep. um, and it was a way to kind of foster, I guess, friendships with like-minded kids and and, yep. um, and and kind of family. So, yeah, and then Friday nights was, um, yeah, it was obviously Friday night swimming and, yep. yeah, I, the joy of that with my own kids, it's, yeah, it's great. So yeah. you must be pretty good. You might have undersold your abilities here a little bit. <laughs> oh, look, it, it was a past life. Yeah, yeah, look, it. Yeah, I was, I was all right. I got to, you know, state finals and things, but I was never going to be, you know, anyone too special. But, um, yeah, it was – I think it taught me a lot actually just that, um, yeah, being resilient and, yeah, I guess keeping to a schedule. And, a lot of you know, discipline been, involved. Yeah, 100%. And, look, I've got lifelong um, friendships from the, from the sport and, as I said, I coached and, um, yeah, I think I would, yeah, probably say, you know, the academic track that I took, yeah, has also been by virtue of that too. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. And and yeah. lots of um commitment from your parents as well, five AM starts and all that. Huge commitment. I'll be so you know, I just think, wow, you know. Um and even, you know, dad it's funny, I've looked at um, I've got all my old trophies and oh god dad was meticulous with it all and he had my pbs and um <laughs> yeah some of the old books that he's got and even just you know the programs of events actually there's a um i swam at the very first swimming carnival out at sydney olympic park oh wow at the aquatic center yes yeah, yeah. so i swam at the very first um that very first carnival so yeah no really um yeah as you said happy happy times yeah. That would have been before super suits and, and that sort of thing as well. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah, gosh. Hasn't that all changed? Like just the technologies around swimming, absolutely, yeah, unbelievable. Can you imagine, you know, the dawn phrases of this world? Yeah, no, you can't compare anymore. That's kind of the the, the, yeah. the science nerd in me kind of, you know, the tech's cool, but, oh, I can't really compare it anymore, you know. It's like... Yeah. I mean, well, what did they say about Sydney 2000? They said was one of the, the, the aquatic venue was one of the fastest pools in the world by virtue of its anti-wave technology yeah. and yeah um yeah really interesting but I mean just that pool in and of itself that's such a fabulous legacy of, of that games um yeah well that's a good thing yeah I mean we, that's the topic of this week isn't it with Victoria pulling out of the Commonwealth Games and all the the legacy and the, the lack thereof they'll have now but is it worth the cost it's a it's an interesting conversation yeah you know and even just um thinking about um, the women's football world cup as well. It's yeah, it's that it's, we think about cost benefit, but it's increasingly about opportunity cost. Um, and I think, yeah, even just thinking about Sydney 2000, because obviously we've been talking so much about legacy. Um, we really had that venue legacy, which was, was absolutely incredible. And, you know, Western Sydney didn't have a pool like that. So there was this, this, um, this kind of need, but, um, yeah, I, I think when we look at Sydney 2000, the economic impact was actually a bit benign. Um, and it was the challenge for Sydney 2000, as you would remember, it was SARS and, um, September 11, yeah. we really hinged the finance of that, of, inbound tourism post the games and um and we and we really didn't get that so yeah I, I'd, I'd love to know the legal ramifications of the Victorian government pulling out of it um and also there's been speculation from the um the federal the Commonwealth Games Federation about what the overrun would have been by virtue of costs because Dan Andrews and the Victorian government had these five hubs which were going to be, um, yeah, outside of Melbourne. And they said, well, if you just brought everything back into Melbourne to the existing facility, facilities, we wouldn't have the issue. Because, um, you know, they were looking at 
movable infrastructure and yeah so definitely an interesting story to to kind of watch i'm glad i'm not there that's all i can say no that's (laughs) well melbourne i mean i would imagine melbourne would have the infrastructure to host it very quickly i mean i'm sure there are costs and all sorts of things i don't know about but you know yeah so it's yeah the, the, they've come out the federation and said well we told you not to do regional hubs we told you to host it in in Melbourne so that's going to be really kind yeah. of interesting um, probably yeah. buying the AFL off for two weeks of the MCG is probably the cost <laughs> yeah exactly it's that's well and then this is the other issue isn't it is that kind of negotiations yeah because I think they were going to have the opening ceremony there weren't they I think oh, they I, I think they, yeah. yeah anyway what a weekend yeah that's right hosted in Nelson Bay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much to Michelle for taking over an hour to talk to me. And I really enjoyed listening back to that when I was putting it together. If you'd like any more information on anything you've heard today, get over to the website at www.thepodpodcast.net. That's www.thepodpodcast.net. And there you'll find links to Michelle's work to the music that's been used in this episode and you can comment and rate if you want as well thanks very much i'll catch you next time on the pod